Good afternoon, and welcome to COVID-19 and the Cloud, How Life Off-Prem is Helping Health Systems Fight the Pandemic, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Improvada, and today our event is produced in collaboration with Chime. Just a little housekeeping before we get going. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We've got some interactive features today, uh, questions and comments. You could send them in through the Q&A box as they occur to you, and we'll take them later in the program. We're going to do a, a little poll later, uh, so we'd like to get your input in that. We look forward to that. And you could download the deck by using the URL on your screen, and it has been sent out in the chat box. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, we're going to go about 35 minutes or so with our panel discussion featuring John Kravitz, CIO at Geisinger Health System, Aaron Meary, CIO at Dell Medical School and UT Health, Austin, and Wes Wright, CTO with Improvada. <clears throat> so lots to talk about, and we're going to jump right in without any further t delay. John, let's start with you. Can you give me an overview of your organization and your role? Certainly. Uh, so my role is Chief Information Officer uh, for the health system and for the health plan. We've got an integrated delivery network at Geisinger uh, consisting of um, uh, 13 hospitals, 11 hospital campuses, um, 261 clinics, about 3,300 providers. And we also have a health plan as part of that integrated delivery network with about 560,000 members um, and 56,000 contracted uh, providers and, um, and facilities outside of Geisinger Health System. We do have a medical school as well with about uh, 400 medical students. And, um, and so that is primarily our organization. Um, so we're about an $8, $8 billion uh, revenue a year organization. And, uh, and that kind of gives the background of Geisinger. So. All right, very good, John. Thank you. Aaron? How's it going? So, yep. Uh, Aaron Meary, CIO here at UT Austin uh, for the Dell Medical School and UT Health Austin clinical practice. Uh, the clinical practice here in the medical school is about five years old, a little over five years old, but growing rapidly. And, uh, you know, it always amazed me that UT Austin never really had a, being the flagship, really never had a medical school. And now we do. And it's anchored beautifully here in Austin. To the degree of it, uh, we have multiple hospitals, uh, pediatrics as well as adult. Uh, we do just about all the service lines you can possibly imagine. Um, most of my physicians also travel and practice at other facilities here in Austin as well. As you can imagine, UT Austin is very proud of his research. I'm also over the research divisions where we're doing a bunch of things, especially as related to COVID-19. Uh, one of the things that we have here at UT Austin is also an on-premise supercomputer, right, with the Texas Advanced Computing Center, which already has been helping to fight uh, the COVID-19 outbreak by modeling and looking at some of the RNA and DNA strands of how we can get in front of this thing. Um, also to the degree of it, you know, UT Austin is world-renowned for a number of things. Um, one of those also being the other schools on campus from either the Macomb School of Business, the Engineering School, or whatever else. And it's been amazing uh, harnessing the power of them to help fight this and, and doing some of the innovative work that we're doing to fight against this. So uh, it's UT Austin. It's what it is. Um, and, uh, you know, hook up horns. Very good. Thank you, Aaron. Wes? Hey, good morning, folks. Uh, Wes Wright, I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Improvada. Uh, hopefully most of y'all uh, know who Improvada is. We're kind of known as the badge tap company, but we've uh, grown into a lot more than that. Uh, we're the digital identity company that have the whole suite of uh, product solutions uh, from, uh, uh, probably not good to say in healthcare, from cradle to grave and identity <laughs> management, from, from pr provisioning to deprovisioning, uh, we, we have uh, that whole uh, product uh, portfolio uh, covered. I uh, have offices in uh, our main offices in Boston. We have offices in the UK and uh, uh, Australia as well. All right. Very good. Thank you, Wes. All sure. right. Let's get right into it. Uh, Aaron, let's start with you. Tell me about the influx of COVID-19 patients. And we mean those who have it, those who think they have it. And the effect it's had on your health system's IT operation. So if you want to go overall general impact, just, uh, and then and then specifically IT. Yeah, so if you look at it, I think everybody's going through the same challenges, right? Which is how, how bad is a problem? So qualifying and quantifying the problem, uh, getting in front of testing, getting in front of uh, materials, PPE, whatnot. And so from an IT perspective, 
it's, it's on us to help empower the clinicians and provide them solutions, whether it's dashboarding, whether it's data sources, whether it's innovation, whether, whatever else it's happened. So I've had to pivot my organization quickly into being into solution design and partnership um, and making sure that we're understanding in the front lines what those challenges are. Specific example, we stood up a uh, drive-through testing center in like one weekend. So what does that actually take? Can't tell you how many times you had to run down to office, office depot and you know, buy label makers and things like that, but it's what it takes to make happen. And so it's pivoting IT into being one to just make it happen and get through the red tape quickly. Another thing we've had to do is really tap into data and data marts and data building. And so now we have a number of dashboards we're running and tying into all sorts of data across the city to figure out what's really going on. And as we see the influx of patients and suspected PUIs being persons under investigation that are potentially positive while we wait for their test to come back, it's one of those also of contact tracing and making sure that you're understanding how to get in front of that and automating contact tracing as much as possible, leveraging some machine learning and augmented intelligence to be able to say, hey, you know what, Aaron hasn't reported his temperature in, in about five hours, he needs to or call him, and then tracking and, and go for, going forward, so forth and so on. And so Austin's been fantastic to partner with. Um, from an IT perspective, though, it's also been a little challenging because half of my team is working from home, half of it is on site, and you can't really have your desktop team per se working from home when you need them to be there side by side with clinicians in the clinics. So to the degree of it, it's been a lot of that, a lot of partnership, a lot of understanding. That's why I'm here every single day because my team is here and the clinicians are here. And so that's where we are from an IT perspective. Excellent. Um, I'll follow up with you later. Um, just when you were talking, one of the things that popped into my head is as executives, one of the most important things you have to deal with is the whole million things to do but only a certain amount of resources and time. Actually, I want to follow up with you now. What the heck? I'm in charge, right? So <laughs> when you have, that becomes even more acute and focused now. You have a million things you could do with your time, finite amount of resources. You've probably always had a process. Usually it's the governance process that's mm -hmm. going to help you at a big picture level. But that's concentrated now. This, that's, you don't have time to put this through committees and everything. So as a CIO, as an executive, how are you deciding what's the next thing to do? Yeah, so I, I think everybody on this panel has excellent relationships with their executives in their C-suite. And it's really what you're doing is I'm leaning on the command team, right, which consists of our chief clinical officer, our dean and CEO, our chief business officer, who's our chief operating, operations officer, and a few key leaders. And, and we're in constant communication so that as I'm making decisions on the fly saying, yep, go, no go, whatever, you know, I'm sanity checking with folks going, hey, this is what I'm seeing. Are you feeling different? And so, you know, you don't have time to go through governance. You don't have time to say, oh, what's the risk here? What's the worry here? You just have to make things happen and solution design. I mean, we mm -hmm. still have an app to do contact tracing and home, home monitoring in seven days, right? So that not, does not happen in software design, but it just had to happen. So it's like, what do you need? What do the epidemiologists need? What do our clinicians need? Bake it in, go, right? Turn it on and roll. Because if you wait, you're really gonna cost some lives. So that's where I we're looking yeah, and at. I, I think this is where that whole experience thing comes in. I mean, you just, you've done this long enough. We've all done this long enough to where you kind of know what's the right logical thing to do next. Sure, you take the clinical input, but you just, you, like Aaron says, you just sometimes you just don't have enough time to check and double check and you just got to go with the gut. And that's when people look for experience, that's what they're looking for. That's precisely yeah. it. You know, Wes, I would agree with those. Go ahead, John, John, go ahead. Wes, because I think a lot of this becomes instinctual and you're thinking ahead mm -hmm. as, a, as an IT organization. So you're trying to anticipate the next steps of what the clinicians will need. And, you know, we try to get out ahead, like the, uh, the, the screening tents, the treatment tents, they're all outfitted like a mass unit. I mean, this is commonplace. And we've got them on every campus, every location. And, uh, and it's just trying to get ahead of it. And, you know, they were stunned at our organization where the clinicians are going to ask for stuff. They turned around, they were in the tent. The whole network was built out in the tent. And it was ready to go with printers and everything you can imagine. And, uh, and, and even using, uh, you know, iPads and things like that so they can communicate effectively back to the registration people because they're still doing multiple functions. And, uh, and, and we need to be creative. We need to be innovative in how we approach that. And I think, uh, I think it's years of experience that come into play. The gray hair does have a, uh, an impact on us, right? <laughs> through this over the years. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's important to Aaron's point and Wes's point. 
The other thing um, is, that, well, you know, John, leaning on the vendors, right? So leaning on the vendor community has been very, very important also, right? Yes. So your key partnerships, your EMR, all those sorts of things. Yeah, I don't want to discount that. That's, that's critical. And so a lot of times people forget that and say, you know, who's out there? Who can I partner with? That's just key. So that's another key point for everybody listening. Yeah, it, it's very interesting. I actually had the thought the other night that this would be a terrible time to be either starting in a new position at a new health system or a new CIO, like a newly mint, your first CIO role. You guys mentioned it a few times in your answer, the gray hair, the experience. You go with your instinct because you have them. But, I mean, this must be a tough time to be sort of whatever, new in any way. John, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, advice? Actually, I, I would say this, um, Anthony, on that, you know, um, I'm very, very strong involved in Chime, uh, chairman of the board for Chime this year. And we have, we have a lot of resources available to our CIO colleagues. And, and oftentimes they're reaching out to us either in group messaging or group emails or whatever else. And we're exchanging information. And I think it's really helpful for them because it's their first time exposure to something like this in many cases. And, uh, and they're, not, they're not really certain what the next steps are and what they should be doing. So they're bouncing ideas off of us. And there's a number of us that are part of this. It's not just the Chime board, or it's it's a group of CIOs that really care and want to share their knowledge uh, with other colleagues. And I think it's important, um, and I think it's helping them considerably. You know, grow through this process. They will get their battle scars quickly. They'll learn from this, and they'll be able to be flexible moving forward and still proactive in their approach uh, moving forward. Yeah, so John. John's exactly right. So I'm I'm also on the Chime faculty, right? I help teach the CIO boot camps. And it's amazing how many of the classes have been reaching out to us as instructors saying, hey, how do you do this or what do you do? And these are directors or people that just became CIOs and they don't have their teeth cut, but they have the you know, curiosity and they have the passion and desire. And I always tell people, you know, I, I can't teach you passion. You either love this or you hate it. There is no middle ground to it, right? You become a healthcare CIO, you know, you completely lose your hair and go gray and you love it, or you really, really regret your decisions in life. And so these groups that are coming through love it. They're hungry for it. They just need knowledge and need experience. And so for those of us who went through Ebola, who went through H1N1, who went through all those things, we have those experiences to share with them. And then also exactly to what John's saying, a lot of times you find yourself on group threads with about 30 or 40 other CIOs just sharing information. You know, we're going through 3D designs here of how to print up N95. So I'm, I'm readily sharing that information, what we're learning, you know, whether it's data, whether it's what are we seeing in our daily census of, of who's coming in. That's key. Chime and the CIO community is really a small family and you're really not that far separated from each other in this whole thing. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a real, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a real phone a friend kind of time for anybody for anybody who's out there new. It's uh, hopefully that they've they've been with somebody as they've been moving up the ranks or moved into the into the area. Uh, you know, I'll make the offer. I, I'm not as busy right now, not being uh, on the uh, health delivery organization side for for this little stint in my life. Uh, so I'm not that busy right now. So, you know, if anybody wants to reach out and, and, and uh, get uh, some of the gray hair knowledge that, that I've, uh, uh, I've accumulated over the years, there, feel free to, uh, you know, email at Wes at Improvada.com. I'm, I'm more than happy to help. And that's the cool thing about Chime is that I'm saying that, Aaron's saying that, and 90% of the members that are in Chime would tell you the exact same thing. So it's that's one of the coolest things it's about healthcare and especially healthcare IT is we don't really compete against each other uh, necessarily we're all in the same game together and we're all trying to help each other get better at what we're doing yeah i mean funny I guess that, even, you know when go when, ahead, when Wes, when you were at you know Seattle Children's and I was at Dallas Children's remember that VDI project we were trying to get going for the ED right. for mobile devices i called you up i was like hey man what are you doing there at Seattle and we exchange information mm -hmm. and boom, we both launched, you know, initiatives within two weeks of each other, just based on what we learned that would have taken two months had we just tried to figure it out. And so that's, that's the power of this, right? Not even in crisis, it's just in general, as you're trying yeah. to move through, lean on each other, right? Just ask questions, go forward. Absolutely. Aaron, Aaron I thought you said what, what Wes told you didn't make sense at that time. <laughs> was that, that, was that, that was in retrospect. I was like, oh, we could have done this better, but that's okay. <laughs> He shared it. Uh, that he didn't work at all. It. it didn't make any sense. <laughs> okay, God love um, All right, very good. Let's uh, let's move on to our next question. Um, 
Uh, let's get a little, uh, John, I, I want a little more from you, um, maybe a fuller, fuller um, answer, if you wouldn't mind, on uh, how, the things you're doing holistically. Uh, you know, you can give me a top three, but just your thoughts there. Yeah, so, so holistically, from an IT point of view, how are we approaching this? Uh, obviously, you know, we've, we've canceled out a lot of our appointments, our elective appointments, elective surgeries, all been canceled. Things have migrated to telemedicine like they have for most other CIOs in the country. And, and actually across the world for that matter. But, um, you know, for us, ramped up about 1,800 providers in less than a week, got them trained, got them uh, in play, and have them actually uh, treating patients. You know, both telephone encounters and, and video conference encounters, and, and video encounters are growing very, very rapidly. So, you know, we've seen about a 500% a, a increase in the number of telemedicine video visits that we've had over the last week, and it continues to grow daily. Uh, other things that we've been doing, I mentioned the, uh, the tents in preparation for that so that we can screen people, we can, we can treat people in tents if necessary. Um, we've done a lot with 3D printing as well. Uh, we, we had talked about this before we came on live, but uh, developing a, a face mask approach. You know, we could do 3D printing of face masks and have them out there for the clinicians so that they aren't picking up uh, any, any kind of, of sputum or any kind of, uh, of, of spores in the air or anything else that might be applicable to this. We also have uh, have done a lot working from home. You know, uh, Anthony or Aaron and I last week were, were exchanging information on on supporting one another, as we just talked about with Chime, and that was you know some of the challenges of our infrastructure and what we had to do very quickly to ramp that up. Uh, we moved to about 13,000 at-home users, uh, mostly administrative and physicians and radiologists reading from home now, as opposed to being within a facility. So. You know, we developed a bandwidth uh, checkpoint uh, tool that we utilize as part of our screening, uh, but that's really the technology. You know, it's, it's all of those pieces are important. Our analytics platform, we have, we have a large Hadoop platform on-prem. We're using um, a solution in the cloud as well for big data platform for analytics. <clears throat> and, uh, and that's helped us with our modeling, uh, the capabilities to meet uh, the needs of the organization. Uh, to determine, you know, where are we at with ICU beds, where are we at with med surge beds, how many ventilators are we going to use, and what's our peak period coming up? We anticipate our peak period because we're <clears throat> in Pennsylvania's central uh, region of Pennsylvania, as well as the northeastern sector, which is close to New Jersey, New York City. Um, so our peak in the northeast is hitting now. We're we're hitting a lot of uh, patients coming across. The infections are starting to spread across from that area and from Philadelphia into our other regions. So yeah, that's. That's an interesting approach. Um, but what we've also done, we have a, a very active health information exchange that uh, I happen to be the president of because it's in our organization. And we've got that out to about 250 different healthcare systems that participate in that. What we do is we connect with the state and we can tell by county where the, uh, where the infections are coming in, where there's deaths associated with that, how many people are getting well and, and moving on. So. You know, it's not all Grim Reaper stuff on CNN and, and CNBC and everything else. I, I watch that and I get depressed, you know, because it's always the bad side of the not, not the good stuff, too. And there is good stuff. People are recovering from this. If you're, you know, you don't have a lot of comorbidities or compromised immune systems, a lot of health people are recovering and doing well. So I want to talk about that side of it, too, because, you know, you can get really bummed out, you know, and people are working from home and and they're really concerned about this, as we all should be. And we take those precautionary measures, of course. But I think there's also a good side where people are recovering and doing well. And, and you know, just this morning, I was in a, a clinician-led <clears throat> huddle. And we're talking about how we're developing uh, people that have come out of this. And they're drawing the plasma out of these people to develop the antibodies to inject in other patients. And that's pretty cool to hear that, you know, that's actually a treatment methodology for this. And, uh, and that's part of our research organizations. We have two of those, genomic and, uh, and physical research as well. So, you know, I, I want to hit on something that John just said, because I think it's really important. And I was talking to a group of CIOs. I think you were on this thread as well, Wes, where, you know, I was reinforcing communication. It's yep. incumbent on, on all of us to make sure that we're over communicating this time, because what John said is exactly right. There's, there's a level of anxiety here running through your departments and through your team, especially the IT team. Um, even if they're not vocalizing it, it may not be, it may not make its, make its way up to the office of the CIO, but it's on you to talk to your team. And so I held a town hall last week where I had our infectious disease uh, chairs, as well as some of our, our, our chief clinicians on there.
they let the team ask them whatever they wanted, right? And a lot of the common questions, you know, is it safe for me to go into the clinics gowned and, you know, with gloves on and a mask? You know, am, am I going to be susceptible to catching this thing and replacing a computer in our primary care clinic? Those kinds of questions that your team wants to hear answers on, right? And so when the facts are presented, exactly to what John's saying, when the facts are presented, it's a very different light than the way maybe some of the public news is reported on this and not that it's not a be cautious or whatever else but the reality of it is, is that common sense prevails in these situations and that's what your team wants to hear so I just wanted to highlight that because I think John is exactly right we have to make sure we yeah and, and to piggyback on Aaron's point I mean and I'll, I'm gonna go touchy-feely which is really uh, unusual for me uh, <laughs> on this kind of stuff um, you know, I, I, I've been I've been with Improvada a couple of years now, and and most of the work that I'm doing, I'm out on the road by myself, um, going from one place to another place, talking to people like Aaron and John, um, and, and it gets lonely. I mean, there's there's a sense of solitude. I'm out, I'm on my own. Uh, sense of solitude when you're out working from home, and and. Are, are people that aren't normally working from home right now, I can, I could probably tell you that they're, they feel that, that solitude. So like Aaron's doing, the more you can communicate with those people that are at home and get that, that water cooler type of, and that's one of our, our Slack channels and get that water cooler uh, type of uh, communications going, just let them know that they're not out there by themselves it'll help a ton. Well, yep. Well, let's go with that a little bit more. Um, so we're talking, Wes mentioned the idea of, of having a concern for the mental well-being of your, let's, let's focus on the IT employees, right? Let's talk about mm -hmm. the mental well-being of your IT employees. If they're working from home, okay, we can be concerned about depression, dis feeling disconnected. Also, let's not forget, uh, they might have their kids home with them, maybe young kids that need mm -hmm. essentially their parents sitting there with them, helping them do their schoolwork. I'm going through that right now. So that yep. can interrupt your workflow. You've got them working from home. They're quote unquote working from home, but for a few hours, their child needs them right there. And that's unavoidable. I'll tell you that right now. So that's yep. one issue. <clears throat> so let's, you can touch on that a little more, but I also want you to address the idea of asking an employee to take on risk because that's what you're doing when you identify people you need them to come in you need them to go to this clinic that clinic you need them to do whatever you need them to do mm -hmm. if there's an if they have to take on a risk there you have some kind of responsibility to explain that to define the risk and to explain why it's necessary and to have a conversation because i guarantee you for people that are asked to come in, they're having conversations with their spouses that are going something like, I don't want to do this. I don't feel like I, I, this is scary to me. Well, honey, you know, you got to work. We need the job. We need the paycheck. Wrong time to be telling people no. So anywhere you want to jump in there, John, why don't you start? Yeah, let me let me begin with that because this is a conversation I just had with my my cabinet, the the office of the CIO cabinet yesterday. Uh, we meet four times a day, and we continue to to do the the communication out as as Aaron stating. I think it's extremely important to do that communication. Uh, the live the live uh, webinars really important. We get people. We used to do this on a quarterly basis. Now we've stepped it up to weekly, and it may be more frequent than that because concerns and and apprehensions are prevalent. So I think. Uh, part of this process that we've talked about, yes, we do have the masking, we have the PPE for our people that have to go into those uh, prevention tents, you know, or the screening tents or the treatment tents. And so basically there are some criteria, we work with our ID, our ID team and, uh, and the infectious disease docs tell us the criteria that that's acceptable or not acceptable. Uh, most of those are negative pressure tents and we're pulling air out all the time, but uh, there's still concern people going in. So you know, obviously the PPE, so, you know, a, a disposable gown over your, your clothing, um, you know, the face mask, the, 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 uh, the shield, if necessary, as well as the gloves, you know, all those components are important, but even more important than that is before someone, a tech goes in, for example, a workstation analyst or a CTS person that we reference, I have them go through and take wipes and, or disinfect the equipment, even though it was supposedly disinfected by uh, clinicians. clinicians are so busy treating patients, they have no time to worry about the equipment. So we have this process to follow. 
before a piece is even picked up, even though you have gloves, even though you are, you're doing this kind of work, I want to make sure my people, my team is safe and protected because their families count on them, we count on them, and we, we think about their health first and foremost. Thank you. And let me add to that, actually. So John's exactly right. The other thing you can do is share the internal data. I'll give you an example. Our ID team is constantly doing random samples of the healthcare workers, right? Being that we're doing actual tests, COVID-19 tests on people that don't have any symptoms at all, and they're doing them in groups of 100. And so every week or so, you have 100 randomized trials going on, and we're sharing those results. We've had no positives on the healthcare workers, and it's not that people aren't asymptomatic and are positive. They just don't have the disease. So if you're sharing that kind of data out with the organization and saying, look, we're, we're, we're tracking folks internally. We're, we're sampling healthcare workers. Here's the data of what's going on. The other thing you've got to do is connect your IT team to the work that's going on in the front lines, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's, again, yeah. uh, IT projects, whether it's you know, other challenges that are going on, how do they connect to the larger mission? And they don't feel yeah. disconnected, particularly for the people that are on site. It's very important. Agree. Aaron, have you, oh, go, go ahead, John. Go ahead. No, I, I just, I think Aaron's points are spot on. That's, that's exactly the way we're approaching it. It's, it's the data. It's the information. It's how you're sharing that information with your employees. To, they're still going to be apprehensive. They're still going to be scared. But you still, you, you're trying to uh, allay that as much as possible with good quality information. And especially working with our ID people who we, we talk to three or four times a day. And, uh, and they continue down this path. We've just gone to a a masking policy for all of our employees. And the issue was we couldn't get enough masks initially, uh, level level three masks. It's not the N95s because they're not there with the infected patients directly. Uh, but they could be, you know, close proximity to those patients. So uh, we've just done that. But we listen to the guidance of our ID team. Uh, they're very good at this. They do a lot of research and they're communicating with, you know, people all over the country and all over the world and how they're approaching this and how they've had success. Yeah. Especially the CDC and the World Health, Health Organization as well. So. You're right. And, and, and get your team involved in the fun projects. You know, we were mentioning 3D printing. You know, we have 3D face mask projects going on right this minute, right? To be able to replace and, and augment the N95 population, which we know those masks are going to dry up here at some degree or another here in Texas. So get them involved. Get them involved in the print. Get them involved with, you know, coming up with an application to, to do a contact tracing. Get them involved with building new dashboards. Get them involved beyond just the normal day-to-day -day rigor. That's where people want to feel connected. They're making a difference and getting in front of the apex versus being behind it. The other thing you can do is either daily or at least weekly summaries of here are all the things going on that we're working on, that we're helping with, right? And giving them and sharing the kudos from the organization, sharing if a clinician says, man, you, you really saved the day. Thank you for doing X, Y, and Z. Share that with everybody. You know, give a public praise and a pat on the back. That's how you get your team to buy in. The last thing I would say is as a leader, it's incumbent on us to be there as much as possible. I've been here every yeah. day, I'm at the point to walk the floors, walk it with my team, talk to them, alleviate any concerns in person, say, hey, how's it going? What are you thinking about? You know, how's, how's, how's your wife, how's your kids? And just have a conversation. If they see you out there, then they know, okay, clearly you believe in it personally that we're good to go because you're here. And it's like, that's right. I believe in our clinicians and I believe in our ID team. Hey, hey Anthony. You know, we later at the end of the at the end of the thing, we we have a, a ask a peer a question, and I'd like yeah. to use 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 my ask a peer a question right now. You know uh, what? We that's how we roll, Wes. Look, I'm okay. even going to get the slide right up. See? Yep. Um, and that and that is what about do you and both Aaron and John? Do you guys ask for volunteers to do this? I mean, there there or is it just Hey, you're assigned to do this. I'm expecting you're going to do this. Or do you say, Hey, look, I need somebody to go in and into the hospitals and do X, Y, and Z. Uh, do I have any volunteers? So for us, it's been both, right? So for some folks, okay. it's kind of your role. It's known that you're going to be doing X, Y, and Z, and it's sort of reassurance. For folks, say that we have a rotating schedule of all the teams. So there's a presence here of like our applications team, our development team, whatever else. Those are on volunteer basis. Who would like to be on site? What, what works for your schedule? What works for your time? So for us, we found a balance by doing both and then offering flexibility, right? So knowing that, hey, you're not physically sitting here in your seat eight to five. As Anthony was saying, you probably have kids at home. So what works for you when that deliverable can be turned around, when that dashboard can be turned around? You know, understanding that whole dynamic is critical. And those relationships, now is a time where you see who the managers are that have relationships with their staff and who don't. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I would agree with that, uh, Wes. What Aaron's comments are spot on. I think um, you know our people have been. It, it is a combination of both people that are assigned to those duties and people that volunteer for those duties as well. And I think the management level uh, personnel, the directors that work with them closely, um, are really important because they have that solid relationship and they can talk with those people. And they do talk with them daily, multiple times a day, uh, to to listen to their concerns, to share the data again. Uh, to continue to uh, to work through this process, and we try as much as possible not to go into those infected rooms or using technology where we can. Mm -hmm. Same thing for our nurses. You know, we're trying to uh, because of the PPEs and having to keep burning through them if you keep going back into an ICU room. Um, you know, we 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 minimize that as much as possible. The other thing we've been doing is is getting iPads and being there for the family members to be able to contact patients in a room. And that iPad will stay in the room until that patient discharges, you know, whatever way they discharge. So uh, we'll keep that there and then they'll go through a complete sterilization process and be reused for someone else. But we also um, have used telemedicine carts, you know, workstations on wheels with cameras and stuff, mm -hmm. and condition those in the rooms. So the nurses could go out and they're in the hallway. They could see that information for the vitals and everything else. They don't keep running in, gowning up, gowning down. And so... You know, that's important, I think. Those types of use for simple things like technology, and this is easy technology to make this work, right, Aaron? Yeah. It's, it's not yeah. rocket science. It's, it's, it's not it's, rocket science, just do it. The other yeah. thing, I think, Wes, your, your question was spot on. The other thing is that for folks that do volunteer, they're still gonna get concerned. They're still gonna have anxiety. Sure. I'll give you a specific example. One of my star data analysts, uh, a young lady with young kids at home, you know, she had volunteered to be on site, and she expressed to her manager that she was still very anxious about what she could be taking home to her kids. And so I told her manager, make sure that she's not rotated on site anymore. And I'm going to personally reach out to her. I called her. I said, hey, I heard you had these concerns. They're completely valid. I understand where you're coming from. I hear you. I want you to know we've taken care of it. I want you to know I'm here for you personally. You know, and she's like seven or six layers removed from me. But she's like, wow, you heard mm -hmm. about this? I'm like, Absolutely. Right. You're important. That message resounds with your staff. They understand that, wow, I can, I can be free to talk about my feelings and, and leadership hears me. You have to make those connections. I, I agree with you. I think when you said, Aaron, you're important. I said that to every one of our people. I have 900 people in IT. Everyone is important to me. And I know you feel the same way with a much bigger staff. But that's what they need to hear. They need to know you're in their corner. You're looking out for them. You've got their back. And it's not like I'm pushing you into the lion's cage. I'm here. I'll go in if you mm -hmm. need me. That's right. You know, if you feel comfortable, I'll go in. You know, we could do this together. Or you know we can we can support each other. So I think it's important as a CIO for a health system that they recognize that you're there for them and that you support them. Very good. All right, let's stick with the, the ask a co-panelist. John, do you uh, have a question you'd like to hear uh, from your co-panelists on? Uh, so actually, I don't have a specific question, but you know since we've been introduced about a week or so ago and, and having known each other from Chime. Uh, we've done a lot of communication offline before this meeting, and I think it's been helpful because, uh, you know, reaching out to, to Aaron and to Wes, you know, on some of the challenges, technology challenges we've been hitting because of our, our, our major ramp up, you know, of, of, a, of uh, our work from home workers and the ability for them to be able to connect and have that, you know, five nines availability of our systems. Um, we hit some snags along the way and, uh, and just correspondence and, and, and reach outs. Uh, really helpful for us. And I think, you know, that's, that's always been the charm way. And I think that's going to continue even more so in this hurried pace that we're in. Yeah. I have a question I would like to ask. How about that? Let's go the other way. Go ahead. All right. There you go, buddy. Yeah. So let's see for, for, for both John and Wes, I'm curious here. Today, I finally had to have a crucial conversation with a major vendor because they were ragging on the competition's product. And it's amazing. Mm an outpouring of support from a lot of the vendor community and today was the first time I saw a vendor which surprised me right directly to me saying oh XYZ product is garbage link 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 did you know that there's this issue there's this issue and I wrote back very respectfully saying hey um, you know I have tremendous respect for your company but this approach isn't going to work with CIOs if you're trying to make sure we don't adopt X Y and Z technology so I'm curious have you guys encountered that and if so how did you how did you deal with that well, let me let me speak to that first, Aaron. Um, fortunately, I have not, but I would shut it down as quickly as you did because I think it's inappropriate. Uh, taking pot shots at other vendors is not the way I want to win business or I want to select a vendor to be my partner. Um, I'm looking for people that are transparent, that are looking out for the best interest of the customer at every angle. 
And I would not um, associate with a, a partner that's taking pot shots at someone else. I think that's gonna that's that's a uh, a clear window into the operation and how they function. And if that's gonna be the case, I know I won't get support that I need long term. I don't think they'll be honest and transparent. I would concern and question their change processes that may cause downtime because they don't communicate well. And uh, and it's not really a trust relationship. So. I would do exactly what you did. I think I would shut that down as quickly as I can in a very respectful manner. And in the conversation, you know, we've got other pressing matters that we have to address and we're working uh, as partners with our vendors. And that's, that's the way I would address it. Bingo. Thank you. Les? Yeah. And, and, and John, that's, that's, you know, that's what Improvata tries to be is a, a partner and not a vendor. And we're, 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 wa we're walking, trying to walk, uh, a fine line here because we think that we have some stuff uh, that can help during the, the crisis, but we don't want to be seen as um, uh, taking advantage or being an ambulance chaser or anything like that. So, uh, you know, one of, one of the things we did right off the bat was, you know, we knew that people were going to be working and, you know, massively ramp up their work from home uh, stuff. So uh, we have a product that the uh, confirm ID for remote access that helps you do multi-factor authentication uh, from home. And we knew that a lot of people would need that and weren't prepared for it. And so we said, look, through this crisis, uh, I think we got it till August 1st, you can use as many uh, Confirm ID remote access licenses as you want. If you need help standing it up, if you don't have a remote access solution, we'll help you do that. And, and we have about 100 different customers that have taken advantage of that. And I think it's been a a great uh, walking of that line for us uh, in that we just say, Hey, this is available. We didn't, we're not trying to push it or anything. And then on top of that, you know, it, we're, we're trying to be mini chime like, uh, and that is, you know, we get customers because we are partners with our customers by and large, we get partner our partner customers that send us, Hey, we're using your product to do this. We're using it to do this. And so on our webpage, we've got these, these use cases that we didn't come up with, but like Yale, New Haven and Rochester and stuff like that have come up with that. We tell our customers, our partners out there, Hey, here's some use cases. People are using the technology this way. Uh, just trying to be a, a, a partner that doesn't intrude on the busy, the incredibly busy work that we know that's going on in the health IT departments right now. Good. Yeah. I think that's very interesting. Wes, and I think you, you, you're absolutely right. Uh, everyone's trying to walk that line who has got things to offer everybody because, and, and also as I'm sure Aaron and John will tell you, there is a hypersensitivity right now amongst CIOs yeah. about being approached and how you're approached and who you're approached from. I've seen a lot of it on LinkedIn, a lot of the comments. So everyone has better be very careful, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you might want to, I'd, I'd like to hear a little quick comment on that from Aaron and John. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. And and look, I, I completely understand people have a job to do. People have mouths to feed. People are, are, are sales or whatever else. I totally get that, right? And as long as you're respectful, and, and when I say, listen, right now is not the time, please re-engage me in a couple of months and I'm happy to talk to you. I, I'm being sincere in that, right? It's not, I'm not trying yeah. to give you the shoulder. It's truly, I don't have time to think about something net new that is not gonna fit into my workflow immediately and help alleviate the COVID situation. But for folks who do, like the example I just gave you, this you know email blast of trashing a competitor, man, that's just not the approach because I'm going to remember that in six months. And when I really am considering something and I'm looking at your solution, I'm going to remember this conversation and say, you know what, I'm just going to go a different direction because John's exactly right. If you today don't have the wherewithal and situational awareness to understand yeah. approach, yeah. where are you going to be six months from now when I'm looking at something and really having my best interest at heart? So Aaron, that, that's never the right approach, but especially not now, correct? That's yeah. right. John, yeah. any thoughts there real quick? Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree completely with those comments from Aaron. I think it's what's important, and I've had vendor partnership relationships or potential new vendor partner relationships where people are not pressing you for a sale. People are, are asking you how you're doing, what can, you know, what can they do anything to help? They're not trying to make the sale. You can see it's, it's, trying to build that trust relationship from the get-go. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've seen that with a lot of different partners that we use. We ultimately end up 
working with those partners and, and engaging those vendor relationships. But, um, you know, with, with the name, you know, Geisinger's name has been out there for a long time. Um, and, and this has, you know, a stigmatism associated with it. You know, a vendor feels that if they get associated with Geisinger, they've got, you know, they're trusted and they're, they're an organization that can move forward. But to Aaron's point, we will not work with somebody that that is doing, uh, you know, taking shots at people or doing anything that would be inappropriate because we always feel this has got to be a long-term relationship with us and you're going to support us and you're going to be there for the rough times and the good times. And that's, that's what's really important to us. You know, it's, it's typically, you know, unless it's in, in one of our innovation areas where we flip out vendors because we're, we do POCs with them and we don't necessarily lock into a contract period until we know how the application is going to work and will it meet our needs. Those are probably the only ones that would turn quickly because you know, we're, we're trying to see if things stick. We hit it against the walls, it sticks, it makes sense, does it meet our business need? Uh, is it gonna leverage us forward or not? And we go through a lot of those, but um, other than that, our standard vendors are deep partnership vendors, and Improvada is one of those vendors for us that's really important to us. So. All right, very good. I want to get uh, on topic, so to speak, uh, for a moment, uh, so people who come to the event will say, I thought this was about the cloud. Um, and let me, let me go to uh, Wes first on this. Yeah. Um, I would imagine, you know, everyone's got people working remotely, and they're trying to provide the remote services extending, and that means extending the enterprise. So I'm gonna, for, for you, Wes, it's, do you believe, obviously you've been CTOs at health systems, uh, do you believe leveraging the, the cloud helps people currently in what they're dealing with right now? Oh yeah, 100%. Uh, I mean, we just, uh, prior, to the, prior to the live discussion happening, we just, we just talked about how uh, Microsoft Teams is, you know, uh, the usage has increased almost 800%. Uh, if, if there wasn't a cloud capability out there, you couldn't scale up. Uh, you couldn't get, the, you couldn't order the hardware and get it racked and all that. You could, you absolutely could not scale up uh, to, to take on 800% more usage. And we, we see that in, in our cloud products, the remote access product that I was that I was telling you about, we, we've seen a 70% increase in, in the usage of that product. Unfortunately, it lives in the cloud. So all we had to do was scale up in the cloud. So yeah, I, I, I think the cloud, uh, the cloud has fundamentally allowed us to do what we're doing right now. And I think that if the cloud didn't exist, we couldn't have scaled up to the from the from the telemedicine to the remote worker, we could not have scaled up uh, and supported uh, those forces the way the way we are right now. Aaron, what does it mean to be a sort of cloud a pro cloud CIO? Um, are there uh, you know you probably have degrees? Uh, some are super enthusiastic and have done a lot and moved a lot, and some less so. So, would you say uh, first describe yourself, and then would you say that? The more you move towards the cloud, the better shape you're in. I, I so I'm I'm pro cloud. Um, I'm a big believer in cloud first. Uh, ask yourself why not the cloud for a lot of the normal workloads in healthcare. It's a little complicated because not every workload is appropriate for the cloud, right? I'm not going to put a, a genomic file, raw file, in the cloud because of the ginormous size of it. I'm not going to put some you know uh, uh, you know raw file coming from the x-rays up in the cloud more than likely. Um, I may put like an archive version somewhere out there eventually, but a lot of your normal workloads can belong in the cloud without a problem. A lot of your development, a lot of my DevOps team builds applications in the cloud. Uh, we partner with all the major CSPs, so Amazon, Google, uh, Microsoft, all of them. And I'll give you some examples of some things that have helped us with COVID because we do believe in cloud. Number one, uh, our website, uh, you know, both intranet and internet, all run on Amazon, all of it. And so it, we're able to really be agile in communications. And that's critical with your patient population to say, hey, go to the uh, UT website. Uh, the information there about COVID is there, our testing station hours, you know, who to contact, you need to schedule a test, whatnot. That's all running you know, behind the scenes in Amazon. For this 3D print project I'm talking about, I needed to be able to securely send uh, these scans because we're taking 3D scans of people's faces to 
custom make these, these things. I need to be able to send that to the 3D printers. Huh, well, how am I gonna do that? So we actually partnered with Microsoft to do that via Azure to be able to do all those kinds of things, right? With Google, a lot of the communication tools that are out there that we're doing and, and really dealing with some of the uh, at-risk populations are all built in GCP. So we've been very agile because of COVID using all three of the, of the major CSPs. It's been very beneficial because we did believe in a cloud first. Again, not everything belongs up there. Uh, some things do need to be on premise. UT has the benefit of having a couple of supercomputers here with the Texas Advanced Computing Center. So I have on-site compute that's pretty, pretty good. Um, but to be a bit, we try to go cloud as much as possible because it really does help you in situations like this. Yeah, we're Aaron. We're very much following what what Aaron's talking about. I'm sorry, Anthony. Um, we have been moving more and more to the cloud to where about 30% of our apps now are resident in the cloud. And I'm looking to, uh, as, as Aaron stated, I think it's spot on. It's, you know, not everything belongs in the cloud. And so we will keep some things resident in our primary data center. We actually have three data centers. I'm phasing one out right now. And I'll be looking to get rid of the second one, the robotics backup data center, because we're moving more and more to the cloud. And we look at big images and big studies. We'll have to have those on-prem and in the cloud. So a hybrid cloud solution for those. Uh, vendor neutral archive and things like that that we're working toward, but I think I think as we've grown and you know we've we've done Office 365 in the cloud, which has been a godsend for us because a majority of our our remote workers, my gosh, all they need is their email and their Outlook accounts and and maybe their you know OneDrive shared folders, right? So so for them, they don't even come into the into the premise. They don't have to use up a, a VDI license or anything else coming in. They can just go up and hit the cloud and they don't even realize it. They'll come in through a portal, go up and hit the cloud and pull their information. They're, they're good as gold. And so for us, that's been fantastic. And I see more and more of that as Aaron has stated that, you know, it's, it's really the direction uh, that we need to go. For us, the challenge is deciphering now because we, we've just done a cloud assessment. So we can pick others, whether it's, you know, AWS or Azure or, or Google Cloud or Rackspace or whatever we decide to go with. We're looking at this and saying, okay, you know, we know there's a cost to do it. We, we know the cost is high. Um, you know, it'll cost us money the first two or three years, and then we'll start getting a payback for that. But the availability in times like this are really, really important. And I wish that I had, I, I wish I was three years ahead, you know, of where I am now. Yeah. A lot more comfortable. So, right. All right. Very good. We're going to launch our poll. Um, and I'd like to encourage everyone to vote, including our panelists. Uh, three questions here, uh, which you see. Cost savings should not, and I think John just alluded to this, should not be the primary driver for moving to the cloud, um, because that wouldn't make sense. Uh, security is always going to be better with a large cloud provider. And separating, this is a, my personal favorite, separating from a major cloud relationship with a vendor is likely excruciating, which would mean we don't want to get in lightly. We want to get in thinking about it, as John mentioned, and Aaron want to have nice partners that don't talk bad about each other, because that could be a sign of bad things to come. So uh, if you want to answer that poll, I'm going to get to, we have two audience questions, both from uh, our good friend and uh, CIO celebrity Chuck Christian, who uh, I'm sure everybody <laughs> loves, right? Yeah. Um, first question, uh, what virtual visit platforms are you using, uh, Aaron? Yeah, so we went whole hog with Zoom, and uh, UT, uh, the UT system has a fantastic homegrown system that's been around for a while, right? So we do a lot of traditional telemedicine with clinics out in Odessa, Texas, which is far west Texas and others, but we needed to scale quickly. And so we kind of took a Hail Mary on this and said, let's just roll out Zoom very quickly. The transition to uh, working from home was rapid here for Texas. And it's been tremendously stable and it's been a physician and patient satisfier. And so we're starting to settle heavily on Zoom. We also do some WebEx as well. That's been around uh, as a, for a while with us. Uh, but Zoom has been the predominant winner. Yeah, and, and at Geisinger, I would say uh, because of our integration, we've used InTouch integrating into our Epic platform very closely. Uh, but but we also have been going to Teladoc since Teladoc bought InTouch and, uh, and moving that direction. We did have some scalability issues, but I think those have been resolved. Um, I, I, think, I think any vendor going through this in the cloud, unless they've worked with AWS or anybody that can take them down that path and they truly are scalable, uh, we've hit some of those bumps in the road, but they seem to be stabilizing. 
Um, as we talked about right before this call, Zoom is not out of the question for me. <laughs> you know, long term, if if we yeah. do need to have challenges, so we'll look at we'll look at all that. All right, very good. Next question from Mr. Christian: Are you rotating your technical staff in and out of the facilities on a regular basis? Basis, John. Uh, yes, we do. We do rotate them, and for the most part, Chuck, we look to uh, have volunteers, uh, but, but it's not all volunteers. So if we need to, uh, we will have people designated for those areas. Uh, that could be, um, you know, nursing informaticists if necessary because of a process change that may occur. Um, it can be our analysts working with them closely. Uh, it's mostly uh, people that are there at the touch point at the endpoints, though. So uh, client technology service people or workstation analysts have been in those areas for us. Yeah. And, and my answer is the exact same, Chuck. You know, we do rotate some folks. Some folks have to go through. Uh, the leadership team also rotates. I don't. I, I, I'm just personally making sure I'm here every single day regardless. But the directors and managers will also rotate. Um, we do believe there has to be some on-site presence of leadership uh, regardless of the fact. Um, but to the degree of it, it's been a it's been a rotation battle, which which folks appreciate. I think we publish that schedule, by the way, uh, on the intranet page for IT, so everybody can see named who is physically on site. There's for a whole host of reasons for that, as well as we also uh, I call them bat phones, but they're like cell phones uh, running on the FirstNet network for AT and T that are the provider specific network um, that where we can get a hold of folks, so that if you're out there or you see something or you need to you know quickly reach out and phone a friend, you can. Hey, I've got a follow-up, Anthony, on that. Yes, sir. Um, just a curiosity thing. I've, I've talked to several of my uh, provider friends, and they're changing shifts to, to uh, either a seven-day seven on-off or a 14, even a 14-day on-off. And, and I think that's, I would assume that's probably to meet the, the, uh, the you're all clear COVID stuff. So if you have somebody go down on a shift, are, are, have you guys adjusted shifts that way as well? We just did that with our clinical staff here. Um, and so I'm adjusting the IT schedule starting next week to match that. And, and to be clear, it's not seven on, seven off. It's seven physically present, seven remotely working. And for that exact okay. incubation period, um, you, will, you will know by end of the week if you get exposed, it gives you enough time to, to start being symptomatic and we can, we can handle that. So you don't at risk, you could infect uh, the rest of the healthcare population when you're back on site. And so a lot of people were confused, like, wow, I get a, I get a week vacation for working seven days. Uh, it's, you're, you're here in person seven days, and then you're remotely doing stuff for seven days. Yeah, we're, we're very much the same as what Aaron's talking about. Uh, we're mostly concerned about having people ready to go in when people do get sick. So um, same process. We have a lot of our people working from home. Uh, we do rotate in and out. I, I'm back and forth. Uh, my staff wants me to work from home because they're concerned about me being sick. But I, you know, Aaron, I'm with you. I think the presence out there, your face is there. People see you. They respect that. Uh, I think that's so important to get there. And I get to different campuses to do the same thing. So I think that's important that we do that. And I'll continue to do that and probably step up the pace now because, you know, seeing what other CIOs are doing is always helpful. And I think, you know, you, you learn from others. We always learn from others in this field. And the more we can do that, that we are effectuating positive change is really, really important mm -hmm. from my perspective, so. All right, we're gonna play a fun game now, which uh, I am calling Guess with Wes, okay? You ready for this? <laughs> Great. <laughs> this is just came up with this. So, this is in regards to the polls. So we ended the poll. So Guess with Wes. Now, Wes, cost savings yep. should not be the primer for moving to the cloud. What do you think the results of that poll are? I think that's percentage. a resounding agree. Give me a percentage. I'd say in the high 80s. It's 90% agree. Look at you. That is fantastic. That is incredible. West well done. All, by all right. Who knows that? <laughs> <laughs> I stacked it. I voted many times. Next, <clears throat> next one, Wes. Security is always going to be better with a large cloud provider. Give me a percentage and a breakdown. You know, this one's tricky because you have always in there, which I um, always hate to use always in a sentence. So I, 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 think, I, think, I think that this one's actually going to be pretty low, um, probably in the 30 to 40s because of that always. So 30 to 40 percent agree, you're saying? Correct. You're, you're, you're amazing. It's 38 percent agree. 
Wow. This is uncanny. Like, this is unbelievable. Like or something. He must have a clue. I, I think he's <laughs> this is unbelievable. <laughs> this is not a, a setup. I, this was not a I setup. I have a high EQ. I, I just have a high right, EQ, see, Anthony. Let's see That's if what he it can is. nail the last one. Can he nail the last one? <laughs> Separating oh, that's going to be like 95% agree. That one's the, well, that's the, that's the easy. See. All right, so you're going 95% agree on that? Are you sure? Yes. Yes. Final right, answer. That is only, so, this is, so you, we'll, we'll call you two for three. Although you're correct, it's only 62% agree. So wow. they don't think it's as bad as maybe we think it's going to be. Yeah, okay, well, good. All right. Optimistic so, little dude. Look at that. All right, listen, we're almost out of time. I want to give everybody a chance for a final thought. Um, either, you know, we talked about a lot today. We had the COVID-focused stuff, managing staff, uh, dealing with sort of mental health issues, making people comfortable to come in, reaching out to people, making sure everyone knows that uh, their, uh, their contribution matters. Uh, we talked about some of the cloud stuff, some of the more technical stuff. So wherever you want to, whatever your parting words should you want to leave for the audience today, um, Aaron, I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Um, so for everybody listening and everybody watching, even on recording, I, I want to say this specifically about COVID, which is that the situation it, it is it is a, it is a it is something that we have to work through and manage, but we will get to the other side. It is all of us in this together, infrastructure, technology, applications, every one of the teams working side by side in complete harmony with the clinicians is what it's going to take. What you're seeing on the news and others is, is terrible, terrible situations in New York City, but we can learn from that. We can learn from what's going on in Boston right now. We can learn from what's going on across the country and prepare where you are locally. It is up to all of us though, to be inquisitive, be passionate and be together on this. If any one of us does not pull our weight, the cities that we're supporting will suffer. And so know that everybody in the city, in the towns are counting on us. They're counting on you as technology leaders. If your vendors, if the hospitals you're supporting are counting on you to step up and help out. You know, if there's a shortage of devices, if there's a shortage of materials, let us know, work with us to find alternatives. That's what we're leaning on you for. We can't do all things for all people, but we can do things that we do really well, really well in these times. So I encourage all of you to please work together. And uh, we'll make it to the other side. Well, that's very inspirational. Uh, John? Can you go next, please? I would echo uh, many of what Aaron's comments were. I think uh, Unison is the key. Uh, you know, IT infrastructure, analytics, everything that we need to do to provide information to our clinicians, uh, provide those resources to them. And I, I agree, the vendors that are the true partners are going to be the ones that survive and, and flourish when we get to the other side of this. You know, we don't know what the other side's going to be or what that time frame is yet. But I think, you know, over the next two to four to six weeks, we should see us, you know, hitting the peak. At least that's what we're anticipating. We're trying to model that to determine where the peak really is. We don't know where it is right now. Uh, we're estimating and trying to get those resources. But I think, you know, as Aaron stated, just seeing the, the Naval uh, hospital ship coming in New York Harbor and then another one mm -hmm. coming out the West Coast, San Diego. I mean, just seeing those kinds of scenarios are, it's, it's real. It's a real problem, a real challenge, but we got to stay cool. We got to stay focused. We got to, we got to keep driving forward and getting positive results. And I think we're seeing that, but it's not a sprint. It's a marathon because we don't know how long this marathon is going to last. And that's part of the reason why, you know, we do have people working from home, not everybody there in the office, so we don't spread this thing. Um, and, and we have, you know, we have replacement workers, if you will, off the bench that we could settle in. Uh, do an effective job because they're already in tune, they're, they're in check, they know what's happening, and we just need to keep doing this. We need to keep the fight up. Uh, it's a challenge. And, and, you know, people working from home, it's not always a picnic for them. People think it is. It's no. fun. And no. It's not, Let me it's tell you. Yeah. I enjoy it. <laughs> I, would, I would much rather be walking around, talking to people, getting things done, you know, understanding what the need is and addressing that need promptly. And that's just what we do as CIOs. And I think it's important that we continue to do that. So I appreciate the time yep. and, and the, and the platform for us to share our thoughts. So thank you, Aaron. And thanks oh, well, thank you. Thank you guys. Uh, Wes, final thought. Yeah, I, I, of course, uh, both what Aaron and John said are very inspiring. You know, above all to me, now is not a time for hubris. I mean, it, it's a time to swallow your pride. If you don't know, about something. I mean, John's the, the, the organization that John's running, Chime, 
We have so much experience in that organization. Pick up a phone, call somebody, uh, and, and ask. Uh, this is not a time to, 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 to have any kind of ego in the game. Uh, it's all about other people, not about you, uh, first. Second, uh, wash your filthy hands. Uh, and third, <laughs> stop touching your face, damn it. <laughs> it's hard. That can be very difficult. Well, yes. Yes. Well done. Well done. All right. And uh, we enjoyed guests with Wes. So that was fun. I'm glad, I'm glad we did that. Uh, two, two out of three, three. ain't bad. Well, you were right on all of them, but two out of three you, you nailed. So that was yeah. a little scary, but very nice. Um, all right. Well, that's about all we had time for today. We've gone a little longer than usual, but what a wonderful conversation. Uh, regarding continuing education, you can use the final slide in this deck as your certificate. You'll get an email when our on-demand recording is ready. If you want to sponsor one of our events, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox, and you can go to our website for our upcoming events. So with that, I want to very much thank our fantastic panel, John Kravitz, Aaron Meary, Wes Wright. I want to thank Improvada uh, very much for making this event possible today, and I want to thank you, our attendees. So good luck out there. Stay safe, and everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Yeah, stay safe. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Wash your hands.